Good morning, Sovereign Grace. So great to see you all here this morning. My name is Russell. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to be able to preach the gospel this morning from John 6. Let's turn to John 6 as we continue to make our way through this book by studying the I Am statements. If you were here last week, you know we took a break from Genesis to go into these I Am statements for Advent. And this is such a wonderful thing to focus on this time of year. It's a great reminder of what we're doing here, what we're about, when all the things that are happening, the seasons change and lights and all these other distractions come. It's so important that we get back to remembering who Jesus is, right? Truly God and truly man, the Son of God and the Son of Man, and also what he came to do. And these I Am statements help us to understand both of those things. They're grounded in this Old Testament imagery, as we'll see again this morning when we study the bread of life. So, John 6, verses 25 to 40. John 6, 25 to 40. This is the word of the Lord. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, When did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for your word. Reminds us of the work and the person of the Son. Reminds us of 
just how much we need what he has done for us. Father, humble us. Help us to see how desperately we need Jesus and what he's already done and what he continues to do as he ministers to us. Help us to trust in these wonderful promises that he will satisfy, that he is the bread of life, that he will keep us to the end. We can't do that if your spirit doesn't work in our hearts. So we pray that your spirit would soften hard hearts and help us see. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I was studying this passage over the last few weeks, the first thing that actually really stood out to me when I was reading this passage is just how different and how foreign these people are from us. It was really interesting to me because their world, their way of thinking wouldn't even register to most people today. The way they think about even just the simplest things like food is totally different than the way we think about it, right? I mean, think about this question. What do you think about bread? What do you think about bread? If we were to ask them, what do you think about bread? They would basically say, well, it's, it's an essential part of life. It's necessary for life. We don't have bread, we die. It's worth working very hard for even crossing a whole lake, going around a whole lake to find Jesus so that he'll give us more bread. But if I ask you, well, what do you think about bread? I think our first response will be, what kind? Right? Sourdough, white, wheat, multigrain, garlic bread, right? Take your pick. That would be the first response. Maybe the second response would be like, oh, you know what? Not a big fan. I'm gluten-free, this is not for me, or it's just too many carbs, right? That would be most of our responses, because bread is not an essential part of our life. At best, it's a side dish, a tasty side dish, by the way, but it's a side dish or the vehicle that we deliver other food on, right? Sandwiches and burgers and, and pizza or whatever, but it's not necessary for life in any way. It's not essential for life. In fact, I am convinced that if Jesus was here this morning physically and he multiplied bread and fish, we would be amazed. We would be blown away and we would come back for another miracle, but we would bring our own lunch. I'm sure that that would be the case. I'm sure we'd say, you know, Jesus, these fish burgers are great, but have you had Chick-fil-A? I mean, that tastes like manna dropped from heaven, right? You know it's true. That's what we would do. If you were, if you were multiplying Chick-fil-A, then everybody in town would be here. That's how different our world is. That's how different we think about even just basic things like food. But what about work? Why do you work? Why do you work? For them to eat, right? So that we don't die. That's what they would say. We work so that we can eat and survive. For us... Maybe in some sense we do, but that's probably the last thing on our list, isn't it? I mean, most of us will probably say, well, I work to earn money to get more stuff. Pay for a house, a car, better vacations, maybe even have a little left over to give to people. But I don't really work to put food on the table. I mean, we might say that, but it's kind of like the last resort, a bad thing to say about your job, right? When someone says, hey, how's the job going? You say, oh, It's kind of rough, but you know what? It puts food on the table. That might be the only context we hear that. 
And that's exactly what they worked for. Now, all of these things and so many other things make it really hard for us to understand Jesus when he says, you just want me because you want more bread. Or you're working for the food that perishes. I don't think I've ever prayed for bread in my life. I don't know if I ever will. I don't even think about working for food that perishes most of the time. And I'm sure I'm not alone. And that may make us think, well, you know what? This passage must just be out of date, out of touch. It really doesn't have a whole lot to say to me. I, you know, I thought this was going to be a convicting sermon, but I guess I can check out now. I'm good to go. And that would be a terrible, terrible mistake. Because even though these people are very different from us, very foreign to us, and this culture is very foreign to us, in many ways, in fact, the most important ways, they are exactly like us. Exactly like us. They have the same questions that we have, as we'll see. The same struggles and the same motives behind those questions. And most importantly, they have the same essential needs. They have the same essential needs, and that need can only be met in Jesus Christ, the living bread. And so we need this message just as much as they did in the first century. We need God to teach us what Jesus says. And what Jesus is really teaching us here is this. Jesus came not just to give bread, but to be bread. Jesus came not just to be the provider, but to be the provision itself. He came not just as the giver, but as the actual gift. Jesus came not just to hand out more bread, but to be the bread of life. I didn't make that up. That's from John Piper. I love this summary of this passage. He didn't come to just give bread, but to be bread. It's essentially what Jesus is teaching here and what we desperately need to hear. And as we go through this passage, I want to break it down into five parts, actually. Three needs. Jesus actually exposes three needs in the first few verses. Three needs that we all have. And then he graciously gives two promises that shows how he will meet all of those needs. So we have three needs and two promises this morning as we study this passage. So let's dive in at verse 25. Now, maybe, wait, hold on one sec. You need to know, verse 25, right? This is the middle of a story. This is the middle of this chapter, one of the longest chapters in the New Testament. And on the day before this, Jesus fed the 5,000. We know the miracle well, don't we? And it actually wasn't even 5,000. They just counted the men. So 5,000 plus the women and children, we're talking maybe three times that much or more. Incredible miracle with five loaves and two fish. Incredible. They were amazed. They were satisfied. They wanted to crown him king. Who wouldn't want a king like that that can make food anytime they want? But Jesus would have none of it. He withdrew with his disciples, went to the other side of the lake, and now in verse 25, they find Jesus and they ask him this. Look at me at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, teacher, when did you come here? Well, this sounds like such an innocent, reasonable question, right? Maybe even like a little small talk. Oh, Jesus, fancy seeing you here. Right, long time no see. Seems simple. When did you get here? It's anything but that. And you, if you know Jesus, and you know, especially in the book of John, the way that John highlights the way Jesus talks, Jesus has no patience for small talk. He cuts right to the heart of the matter, especially when he knows there's an ulterior motive. 
especially when he knows there's a question behind the question. And he just skips over their question. He doesn't even answer it. He answers the question that they either should have asked, or he just tells them the answer that they desperately need. And that's exactly what he does here. When did you get here? Look what he says, verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus doesn't answer the question at all. He just says, be honest. All you really want from me is more food. Right? You liked the fish burgers yesterday. You thought it was a cool miracle. You liked what you saw. Now all you want me to do is fill your bellies again. All you see me as is your meal ticket. That's all you want from me. But you completely miss the sign. That's what he says, right? You miss the sign. You missed what the miracle was all about. I didn't come to just give bread. I came to be bread. And you don't even want me. You don't want me. You just want what I can give you. You're just looking for a handout. All they're doing is exactly what we often do. They're coming to Jesus with an agenda. Lord, this is what I really want from you. I want you to make my life easier. I want you to make my life happier. I want you to make it more convenient. Lord, fix my marriage. Fix my depression. Fix my health problems. Help me find a wife. Help me find a husband. Right? Help me find a new job. It's coming to Jesus with an agenda. And look, if you come to Jesus like this, attempting to use Jesus to get what you want as kind of a means to an end, it's idolatry. Pure and simple, it's foolish idolatry. It's treating Jesus like a pagan god you can manipulate. Like a a cosmic genie who, if you do just the right things, he'll grant all your wishes. And please hear me, I'm not trying to minimize any of these struggles. Depression and health issues, marital troubles, those are real things. And they also are a good thing for you to come to church for. Jesus can help with that. But please hear me when I say this. Those are just symptoms of a much, much deeper problem. They're symptoms of an even greater need that we all have. And what is that greater need? Look at verse 27. Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes. Food that doesn't last. He's talking about so much more than food here, but we get the analogy, don't we? It's the perfect sermon I was thinking that we preach right after Thanksgiving. How many of us on Thursday ate more than we should have, and at the end of the day we're like, I am never going to eat again. Right? There's no way. I'm not ever going to eat again. And what do you do on Friday? You eat again. right? You eat the leftovers, maybe even Saturday. And you'll eat again today. Our appetites never go away. Our physical appetites for food, but even just for stuff, for things that don't last. Things that are temporary, things that will perish. Jesus says, don't seek after those things. But, verse 27, but seek the food that endures to eternal life. That's our desperate need. Oh, and brothers and sisters, we so often work so hard for the food that perishes, don't we? I mean, some of you, I'm sure, work very hard on your health. Work very hard at your job, your family, your Helping your your marriage grow. Some of you work incredibly hard at politics, trying to do the best you can to be ready for the next government overreach. Some of you, even kids, work incredibly hard at video games, 
right? Trying to do whatever you can to level up and to create this incredible digital world. Adults don't think you're much better, by the way. Right? If you don't have a video game problem, which some adults actually do, how hard do you work at your digital reputation on Facebook or Instagram? A world that is carefully crafted to show a filtered reality. All of it will perish. All of it will fade away. None of those things will last. And Jesus says, work for the things that will last, that will satisfy. And look, Jesus isn't saying quit your job, abandon your family, find a cave somewhere and become a monk. That's not what Jesus is saying. Not even close. He's saying you need to find something better to work for. You're aiming in the wrong direction. You have the wrong goal. Use your time, your money, your energy to pursue what lasts, to pursue eternal life. And where does that come from? Look at verse 27 again. Jesus says right in the middle, eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. The things that last come from God because God is eternal. Jesus has the seal of the Father. He has his stamp of approval. He himself is eternal and he can give eternal life. Are you seeking that bread? Are you seeking Jesus? Is that what you're aiming for? Are you coming to God with an agenda? Seeking the gift rather than the giver. I guess what I'm really asking is, why are you here? Why are you here now, as opposed to years ago? Are you here now because you have a desperate need for eternal life? The weight of sin is upon you, and only Jesus can help you with that? Are you here because life is hard? Marriage is hard. Parenting is hard. Difficulty has come, and you hope that Jesus can just give you a little bit of help along the way. If you're bringing your agenda to the Lord, then repent. Repent. Seek eternal life because Jesus came to be that bread, not just to give bread. So Jesus exposed our first need. We need bread, bread that lasts, bread that satisfies eternal life. That's our first need. What's the second need? Well, the second need is actually has to do with this word work. And fortunately, all that the people heard when Jesus was talking is the word work. And so they tee off on that idea in verse 28. Look at verse 28. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Simple question, right? How do we work this out? What do we have to do to earn this, Jesus? Okay, we're seeking the wrong bread, so what do we have to do to get it? I hope you can see they completely misunderstood Jesus. Jesus was telling them what to seek, not how to seek it. He wasn't trying to say trade that work for another work. He was trying to say trade the things that perish the things that don't last, that have no eternal value, for what lasts? Pick the right goal. But their sinful hearts go exactly where our sinful hearts go. Right to works righteousness. Lord, how do I earn this? How do I contribute to this in some way? I mean, really, what they're doing, instead of bringing their agenda this time, they're bringing their resume. Lord, did you see this? Did you see my standing before you based on this? Is this enough for this bread? What else do I need to do to get this bread? It's right back to idolatry, isn't it? Jesus, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. It's the way 
All the other world religions work. Just give and take. This minimizes Jesus to this pagan idol that can be manipulated. And it completely misses the need here that Jesus is trying to teach them about. So what is that need? The second need. Look, verse 29. And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God. Now you believe in him who he has sent. Okay, you want to talk about work? Let me redefine work for you. <laughs> Let me help you understand what it takes to get this bread. It's not work. It's belief. It's faith. Jesus is trying to say, look, you can't earn this. You're not righteous enough, and you never will be. Your heart is desperately wicked. You are always falling short of the glory of God. You are dead in your trespasses and sin. You can't earn this. It's an unpayable debt. You can never deserve the bread of life. Your only option is to receive it by faith. It has to be a gift. You need the bread that you can't earn. It has to be a gift. It cannot be a wage. It has to be by faith. Oh, do you really believe that? Honestly, stop for a second and think. Do you really believe that you contribute nothing, nothing to your salvation? That it is all gift? It is all grace from start to finish? Are you constantly being tempted to slip in your good works, to smuggle in your good works and saying, Lord, look at this. Look at this. Look what I just did. This has to count for something. Lord, look at all that I've done. Why are you making my life so hard? I've been good. I've done the right things. Why is this struggle in my life? Trying to slip in our resume. Oh, I know we sing, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. But as Sinclair Ferguson says, our hearts so often want to sing this. Instead, something in my hand I bring. Also to the cross I cling. I've always tried to do my part. I can make my own new start. Slightly flawed, I've done my best. God, I'm sure, will do the rest. Is this how you come to Jesus? With a resume? Attempting to earn the bread that cannot be earned? If this is true, we need to repent. We need the bread that cannot be earned. We need the bread that satisfies, that lasts. And what's the third need that we have? Look at verse 30. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Okay, you want to talk about belief, Jesus? Well, we don't want to work on the bread that perishes, so prove it to us. Show us that you can actually do what you promise. In fact, we're going to quote the Old Testament in your face to make sure you know what we're talking about. They quote Exodus 16. Look at verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now you may be wondering, why do they go to Exodus 16? Why is Moses on their minds and the bread from heaven on their minds? Well, what we didn't read is at the beginning of this chapter, all of this is taking place during Passover. That's intentional. Jesus did this miracle to show them, hey, there's connections between me and Moses and me and manna and all that happened. I'm leading a new exodus. And a lot of these people believed what Moses said about himself. 
Moses said in Deuteronomy 18, there's going to be another prophet, a better prophet to come. One like me that will lead the people. So they were looking for that better prophet. And it was thought that this new prophet would rain down manna from heaven. Do all kinds of signs and wonders. And so this is a reasonable request, it seems. Jesus, show us, prove it to us. Sadly, Jesus already did. And they completely missed it. They completely missed the feeding of the 5,000, which made all the connections that they were asking for. Or maybe even worse, what they're saying here really is that that wasn't good enough. That's not the miracle I wanted. That's not the miracle I think I need. Oh, we can be just as stubborn, can't we? God, I know you've given me your son. You've given me that gift of eternal life. But what I really need right now is fill in the blank. Just like this. Right back to their agenda with Jesus. How does Jesus respond? Verse 32. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Now, I find it amazing that Jesus doesn't make the connection here between Moses and himself. This would be a perfect time to do it. John makes that connection in the very beginning of the gospel. Hebrews makes that connection as we studied, right? Jesus is the better Moses, That's true. But Jesus is trying to say here, look, if you want to understand what I'm trying to do with this miracle, don't focus on Moses. There's a time for that. But right now, follow the manna. Focus on the manna. That's what I want you to see. And first, I want you to see that that manna didn't come from Moses. Actually, the funny part is the passage they quoted, Exodus 16.4 actually says this, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. God said, I'm the one that's doing that. Jesus said, No, look, it didn't come from Moses. It comes from the Father. And what you need to know about that manna is just as the Father gave the manna in the Old Testament in the wilderness, the Father's giving a new manna now, a better manna. That manna was just a shadow. That was an image. That was a type of the manna to come, the true manna that you desperately need. The ultimate provision. And you're missing it. You still have the same provider. God is still faithfully caring for you. Dropping manna from the sky. But I'm the manna. I'm the one you desperately need. I am the manna that's better than the manna in the wilderness. Look at verse 33. For the bread of God, the true manna, listen, is he. He, not it. The true manna is he who comes down From heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Yes, Lord, give us this bread that satisfies, that lasts, that's eternal life. Give us the bread that we cannot earn. Give us the bread, the ultimate provision of manna that's better than the wilderness. All of our needs are going to be met in this bread. Give us this bread. And Jesus says to them, verse 35, I am the bread of life. This is a massive, massive statement by Jesus. More massive than it even appears. Not only is he claiming to be the one that satisfies, the true manna, the one that earns the salvation that we could never earn ourselves, that ultimate provision. He's making all those connections with the bread. Jesus is also claiming the divine name of God here. 
It's hard to see in the English, and we'll talk a little bit more about this next week. But all of these I am statements, when they say I am, they're using the Greek there is, is kind of redundant. It's ego e me. It's, it's two words that actually could be used separately in, in ways to actually say I am, but he puts them together. Almost in English, it's a way of saying like I, I am, or I am, I am. It would come off really awkward. But why does Jesus do that? Well, because Jesus is calling their attention in the middle of Passover back to the burning bush. And Jesus says, you remember what happened at the burning bush? When God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, free my people, what did Moses ask? Well, who do I say sent me? Who is this God that I should say will free the people from Egypt? And God said, tell them I am sent you. In Hebrew, that's where we get the name Yahweh, right? In Greek, it's ego, me. It's this exact statement. And what Jesus is saying is that I'm connected with Yahweh. I am Yahweh. And Yahweh has come down. He's making connection also with Yahweh and this bread. So Jesus is saying this is as if Yahweh in the desert has come down from heaven, which is an amazing thing in and of itself, but he's come down to be the bread of life. He's come down as true manna, the bread, the ultimate provision that we desperately need. That's what Jesus is saying here. Amazingly to me, this is not the end of the sermon. I mean, if there was ever a place for a mic drop, that would be it, right? I am the bread of life. Boom. Done. That's all I needed to say. Or he could have said, look, I am the bread of life. Just watch me. Watch me. I'll prove it to you. Jesus is so gracious. He's so kind. He exposes all these needs. He says, I am the one to meet these needs. And instead of just saying, hey, take me on faith, which he is, he's saying, let me show you. Let me tell you. I'm going to give you two promises that show you why I am the bread of life. And he gives them two nevers, two nevers that show that he is the bread of life. Look at verse 35 with me. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. There's the first never. You'll never hunger, never thirst. Jesus isn't saying that you're never going to have an empty stomach or that you'll never have wants or that there will never be struggles. Jesus is saying, I alone will satisfy your deepest needs. You will never cease to be satisfied in me because I alone am the bread that satisfies, that gives eternal life. And what Jesus is actually doing here is he's drawing again from Old Testament imagery. Here, keep your finger in John 6. Turn to Isaiah 55 for a second. Jason read this passage earlier, Isaiah 55, this wonderful description of the ministry of the Messiah and what he does. And Isaiah is elaborating on this new exodus, this new Messiah to come. We know Isaiah 53, don't we? The suffering servant. This is another picture of what the Messiah will do. In Isaiah 55, listen to what it says. Verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Oh, this is a picture of spiritual bankruptcy, isn't it? 
total depravity, desperate for hope, desperate for a meal, desperate for anything to drink. And sadly, the reality here is they have no resources. They're out of resources. They have no money to buy and eat these things that would actually satisfy them. Partially because they spent all their money on the things that don't satisfy. They spent all their time and their effort. They worked really hard with nothing to show for it. Can you relate to that? That is the picture of this world, isn't it? Broken by sin, dead in our trespasses, without hope and without God in the world, as Ephesians 2 says. Well, what can we do about it? Look at verse 2 in the middle. Listen diligently to me, God says, and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food, food that satisfies, food that lasts. Well, where does that come from? Verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me, God says. Even if you have no money, I'm the source of what you need. Hear that your soul may live. We're talking so much more than physical hunger, aren't we? You need life. Your soul will find life when you come to me. Jesus is picking up on all this imagery and saying, I am that rich food. I am the one that Isaiah is talking about. I'm the one that you desperately needed that will satisfy you, that will give you eternal life. I'm the one, if you're hungry and thirsty, you need to come to because you were made for me. As Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they find our rest in him. It's Jesus alone that can meet our deepest needs. Him alone that can give us rest and peace. And what is that deepest need? What do we all desperately need? We all need freedom from sin and Satan and death. Freedom from the fall. Our physical hunger, our hunger for the things of this world are just shadows of that deepest need. We need to be reconciled to our Father. We need to have the wrath of God that hangs over our head quenched. We need eternal life. We need new hearts. We need life in God. And we have nothing to give. We can't do it ourselves. We're bankrupt. We can't buy and eat. And so what has to happen? That's where Jesus' second promise comes in. Not only am I the one that will never fail to satisfy your deepest needs, I'm the one who will earn it for you. I'm the one that will pay the price so that you can eat. I'm the one that will obey the Father where you failed to. Look at verse 36, back in John. John six thirty-six. But I said to you, you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never, there's the second never, I will never cast out. There's the promise. There's the promise that we desperately need. And look, you need to know, there are people who Jesus promises to cast out. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 22, Jesus says this, On that day, judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? Do many mighty works in your name? And then he will declare to them, listen, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. He cast them out. Now why did he cast this group out? 
What was it about this group that was deserving of that? Well, it's because they came to Jesus with their religious resume. Jesus, look what I've done for you. I've cast out demons. Look at all that I've done. I've earned this living bread. I've done enough. Look at what I've done. And Jesus is saying time and time again, that's not how things work in my kingdom. You can never earn this bread. You can never do enough to be righteous before God. And so who are those that will never be cast out? It's not those who have the best resume, that have the most religious things on the resume. It's those whom the Father gives to the Son, who are drawn to Jesus by sovereign grace. And the next verse says, whom Jesus came to live and die for. They're the ones whose religious resume was thrown out and Jesus' resume was substituted in. Look at verse 38. For I have come down from heaven like manna, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing. No one will never be cast out of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Did you notice what we contribute in those verses? Nothing. Nothing. We believe. We receive by faith. And what did Jesus do in those verses? Everything. He obeyed the Father's will in our place. Obeyed the law perfectly where we failed to. He paid the price of sin and death on the cross. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we were healed, Isaiah 53, 5. And Jesus rose from the dead, conquering sin and death so that we could have eternal life so that we can be reconciled to the Father, so that he can meet our deepest need. Jesus has done it all. He's earned what we could not earn, and he promises, he promises that if you come to him, if you come to him with no resume, no agenda, you come to him, he will keep you to the end. You will never be lost. You will never be cast out. Oh, don't you see, our assurance is not in how strong our faith is or how weak our faith is. It's not in our religious track record or our potential to improve and to grow in grace. It's not our religious resume that we find confidence in. Our assurance is on the perfect relationship between the Father and the Son. Our assurance rests on Jesus' ability to obey his heavenly Father, on Jesus' ability to keep his promises to the end, on Jesus' ability to obey in our place. I love what Kevin DeYoung says. He says, Jesus can no more lose any of his chosen people than he can disobey his Father. That's why Jesus is the bread of life. He loves us. He loves the Father too much to just throw us some bread to just fill our bellies and leave our greatest needs unmet. He loves us too much to give us a band-aid when sin is rotting away our soul. He has come to satisfy our deepest needs, to free us from sin and death, 
to unite us to the Father and so that we will never be cast out, that we will make it home one day safe and sound and looking just like Jesus. I guess the only question remains is, will you receive this gift by faith? Will you receive the bread that satisfies with empty hands? Drop your agenda, drop your resume, and receive the bread that lasts. Will you come and taste and see that the Lord is good? Will you come, buy and eat, buy wine and milk without money and without price? It's offered to you freely, but it wasn't free. It's free for us because the bread of life died in our place. Would you trust in him? Let me pray. Father, we rejoice that those of us, all of us, who are bankrupt from our sin, have no hope in and of ourselves that you have sent your Son to do everything that we desperately needed, to be the bread of life, to satisfy our deepest needs. And Father, I pray that we would rejoice this time of year because of this wonderful gift, that we would find great encouragement and strength, and we would even be humbled, Lord, but how easily we want to slip in our good works. But how often we want to come to you to get things that you never promised us. Help us to be satisfied in what Jesus has done. Help us to come to Jesus for Jesus' sake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.